Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right. Doug is off today, but Jessica Wallister is here. They're both in the Tribune Review. Of course, you can always follow Doug and what he's doing at everybodygardens.com. We're going to take the 10th caller to begin the hour of the Organic Gardens this holiday weekend. That person's going to win a gift certificate worth $25 from Sorgles out in Wexford. Perfect time to be out there this time of year. Really any time of year, but the holiday is really extra special with all of our great sponsors. The number is 412-922-1020. And I'm sure because of your wonderful family, you had a great holiday, but there's much to do on the gardening list. So let's say hi now to Jessica Walliser. Hi, Jess. Good morning. Good morning. I'm horticulturist Jessica Walliser. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving this week. I know I certainly have had my share of leftovers and everybody else probably has as well. And now it's on to the next holiday, which for me is Christmas. And uh, I know right before we came on air, we heard the ad for Danball's Lake Forest which, as you know, Rob, is our family's tradition to go out there and cut down our tree every year. And so we're going to be going there out there in the next couple of days. But I just wanted to touch real quick for those of us uh, who get live trees. I would like to talk about how to find a good one, because I know people are going to be going out within the next couple of weeks to to get their Christmas trees. And a lot of the trees that you see sort of in lots on the corner uh, are either from Pennsylvania or sometimes they bring them from uh, a little further down south and bring them up like some of the firs that aren't hardy here. They bring them up from like North Carolina, South Carolina, and up into um, Pennsylvania. And then, of course, here in Pennsylvania, out in Indiana, PA, we have a, a huge number of Christmas tree farms there. And, of course, here, a place like Danbaugh's is a great place to get. So you want to try to find someplace local, if you can, or that sources their trees locally and has them pretty fresh and, and recently cut down versus ones that have come up from the south that might have been cut even as much as two weeks ago. So you're already cutting down on, on the life of that tree if you buy one that had to travel a long distance, uh, especially from a warm climate, to get up to here. So so look and ask about where those trees are sourced. And then obviously you're going to want to take a look at the color of the tree, run your hands on the branches, and see how many needles are falling off. You're always going to have a couple of needles drop just because Evergreens do naturally shed some needles in the fall, but what you don't want to have is just gobs of needles falling off of the tree resulting in, you know, bare branches or things like that. So you can also take a tree and sort of lift it up and tap it down on the ground, tap the cut stump down on the ground and see how many needles fall off. Again, you'll have some, but you shouldn't have lots and lots of needles fall off. And then when you get home and you're ready to take that tree inside, you definitely want to do a fresh cut on the trunk because that's going to open up that vascular tissue and allow that tree to absorb some water. And for those of us that have had trees for a long time, you know that you can't just fill the thing with water and walk away for two days before you refill it again. When you first cut them and put them in water, they're really thirsty. And those are some really critical days, those first few days after you cut it. So 
fill that container uh, in, in your tree stand with water, and then go back again just even eight hours later and check the level of that water and do that again eight hours later. And then you're, you can go a little bit longer stretch in between adding water because it does callus over, that cut stem does callus over, and then it won't absorb quite as much water. But that's really, really important to prevent you know things from being a fire hazard, from early needle drop, and from having that tree really dry out. So take care to keep water in there. And you know people say you put an aspirin in it, put a penny in it, put all this stuff in that tree water. You really don't have to do any of that. If your tree, the place where you get your tree, gives you a little packet of preservative, you can do that. But those preservatives are like cut flower preservatives. Like there's a little bit of food in there, but then there's uh, the more important part, even though, is the antibacterial property of it, which helps keep some of the bacteria from building up in the water and clogging up the stems. So you can use it, but it's not absolutely essential. It's more important that you make sure that there's always water in that uh, reservoir at the bottom of the tree stand. That's the most important. Thing. All right. So tell me how if I go to some place to buy a tree and they're already cut. Yeah. Other than if I go to pick it up and all the needles fall off, how can I tell if it's not been that long since it was cut yeah so you want flexibility pliability in the branches if if you you know like i said if you run your hand along the branch and a lot of needles fall off or it feels really dry and crispy or you bend the end of the branch and it snaps that's a definitely a sign that it's an older tree and you don't want it they should be real pliable real flexible and hold on to their needles some of that does depend on the type of tree too like you know a scotch pine versus a Canane fir, you know, versus a, a Fraser fir, you know, some of them uh, hold on to their needles better than others as well. But uh, really, regardless, you want it to be flexible and green and have a really nice color to it. So uh, it's been 68 years since the big post-Thanksgiving snowstorm here in western Pennsylvania. And obviously you're not from this part of the state, but places like Ambridge actually got 26 inches of snow. So there is the possibility of snow this week. The weather is changing. When it comes to, say, you get that tree home and you want to leave it outside before you put it inside, does it matter what the elements are like outside, rain, sleet, or snow, as long as you give it some time to kind of, you know, make sure the needles have all been dusted off and it's breathing a little bit of that fresh air before you take it into the house? Yeah, some people recommend that you actually move it in gradually. So, in other words, you, you buy it from the tree place and then you put it in the garage for a day or so before you... With fresh cut trees, you want to... Yeah, you, well, you want to get it inside and in... It, no matter where you keep it, you want to have it in water as soon as possible. So when you get it home, cut that stem, put it in water. And if you want to leave it outside for a couple of days in that tree stand with water, you can do that. Um, but I wouldn't just bring it home and just put it in put it in the house or put it somewhere warm without having a source of water for it. So how so. do you, like, like the kid in the candy store where your eyes are bigger than your stomach, so you're standing <laughs> out there at Dan Boston and you tell your husband, boy, John, that's a beautiful blue spruce tie. They say, yeah, this is great. Let's get it. Then you take it home and it's like 12 foot that's tall. That's happened to us. <laughs> Maybe not 12 <laughs> feet tall, but yeah, sometimes your eyes so are, what, yeah. What do you do? Yeah. Well, you, you just, what we, actually, we're, We've gotten, obviously, after all these years, we've gotten pretty smart. So John will, before we go, he'll go and stand in the living room in the exact spot, and he'll put his arm up to the ceiling, and he'll say, okay, it has to be shorter than this. Because then when we go out to the field and you see what you think is the perfect tree. What a great idea. He he stands next to it, and he puts his (laughs) arm up, and he's like, okay, this is three feet too tall. That one's not going to work. Or he puts his arm up, and it ends up being, you know, two feet too short. So we do try to sort of gauge so that we get, as close as possible. 
you you really don't want to cut the top of the tree off, right? Because no. then it looks ridiculous. So you, you want to make sure that if you're going to take it off, you take some off of the bottom. And some people have those tree stands that actually elevate the base of the tree off of the floor by a couple of inches. So you have to account for that as well. Our, our stand sits right on the floor, so we don't have that issue. But you want to make sure that you take just the right amount off of the bottom so it fits in your place just real nice. So are you a fan of burlap where you actually bury it and plant it after um, it's done? That's a lot of work. Yeah, well, and not even that it's a lot of work, but that it just it does require some forethought and that it's not necessarily a good thing for the tree. If you're going to do that by a live Christmas tree that's either bald and burlapped or potted, right? you want to slowly acclimate it to your house. You can't just take it from the nursery and plunk it into your living room. That is a case where you do have to put it in a cool but sheltered place for a couple of days and gradually move it indoors. And you really only want to have it inside for a week, maybe two weeks at the absolute most because a lot of times they don't make it. It's so dry in our homes and they just don't survive very well. Trying to think what Doug told me years ago or you, scotch pine the best. I mean, they're all nice, but there seems to be more people buy scotch pine than anything else. It depends. I mean, I'm not, I'm not personally not a fan of scotch pine. I like the Canaan firs and Fraser firs, but Fraser firs don't grow so well up here. So we always get a Canaan fir. They're my favorite. They sort of have that Norman Rockwell, the way their branches hang. And I really love the con color firs are really cool. If you can find a place that has those, it's a little bit less common. It just depends. Everybody likes something different in the look of their Christmas tree. Some people like a real fat, thick branch. I like a little more sort of draping branches with a little bit of space in between. Just kind of depends. You, you know when you made it, when you have Davy Tree go out to Dan Boss and cut down your tree. Right, there you go. <laughs> they bring it over. I haven't made trucks. it because we go out and cut it ourselves. So. <laughs> well, what, a, that's, what, what a joy. That, your son's done that since day one, so that's great. That's it, great. And it's, it's fun to go out and ride the, nice. you know, ride the tractor out to the field and walk through and pick your perfect tree. It's, just, it's a tradition that our family really enjoys. And obviously a lot of other families because there's always, it's really cool to see people bring their dogs and they're, you know, all the grandmas come along. You see big families of 20 people out there, everybody looking for their trees, and they probably go for coffee and donuts after, too. All right. Listen, you'll know it's me because I'll be on my little hover round out there, folks, my little scooter someday. I tell you, I tell you, that's not, you know what? That's not for the faint of heart. You're dragging a tree, putting a tree up. That's right. It takes a family, a team They're there to, to help them. you, though. That's the thing. Like, the, the people that drive the tractors will help you load. They load the tree up on them for you. They'll help you tie the tree to your roof if you need help. So, you know, they get your car. It's all good. They're legendary around these parts, so damn balls. Okay, short break. We'll come back. Sports, and we're going to talk to Brad. Congratulations to Margaret from Pittsburgh, winner of that gift certificate from Sorgles. All right, 866-391-1020, bank, instant access, kittykvideo.com, Texas on the red, I'm middle line, best deal in town. Anything else before we uh, go to the phones and everything else? I think we should talk to Brad. Let's go to Brad, and uh, he knows a little bit about uh, cutting Christmas trees down. He actually did that for a living, kind of like the folks at Davey for many years. So what about uh, a Christmas tree cutting story, Brad? Good morning. Well, that was a tradition when he was raising our family. Uh, we took our three boys out to choose a Christmas tree. We let them each year, each one, pick a Christmas tree. So the youngest boy, he was about seven or eight when we first took him out. And uh, when it come his time to pick the tree, he walked over to this shrub. It was about two feet high and spread out about four or five feet. And he wanted that for a Christmas tree. <laughs> and we said, no, no, you go pick a big tree, not that thing. <laughs> but the, anyway, that was our tradition. And I made my own Christmas tree. I was a welder, and 
I took a piece of pipe about five inches in diameter, and I welded a plate under the bottom of it and uh, put some, uh, well, drilled a hole in top, three, uh, welded three nuts onto that, made the stand tight, you know, for the tree. And uh, that was heavy, but it stood up to the tree. I mean, it it never fell over or nothing. It had a lot to weight in the bottom and hold it. <laughs> but uh, that was a tradition of ours, and... Uh, it was funny whenever that little guy, he went over to that bush to pick it for a Christmas tree. Yeah, that's really funny. I always wonder, I would say to my mom when I see the pictures of what some of our trees looked like in the 70s, and I say, oh, my gosh, Mom, because my dad used to take my sister and I out to get a tree, and we'd come back with the most lopsided, ridiculous-looking <laughs> trees with a big bald spot on one of the sides. And, and I, you look at the pictures now and you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you didn't say anything when we came home with that. So, But it's cool we to always, let the kids pick, too. Uh, we always picked the fir tree. And one year we had a bush bruise. It was really nice, really thick, you know, and uh, we liked that one, too. Yeah, the blue spruce are nice. They are a little, I don't know if the right word is pinchy, but the needles are really sharp with the blue spruce, and sometimes they're a little bit hard to dress, but the color on them is just absolutely beautiful. That's right. cool. That's crafty that he built his own tree stand. He's, a, he's something he's, I could he, definitely not do. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of ingenuity there from Brad. Okay, here's Nikki in South Fayette. Hey, Nikki, welcome to KDK Radio. You're on the air with Jessica Wallace and the Organic Gardeners. Uh, good morning. I'd like to know the best way to overwinter uh, a tropical hibiscus. Ah, yes. Hi, Nikki. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. Good. So tropical hibiscus are one of those uh, plants that do not tolerate frosts at all, so they have to be brought inside before we get um, really cold weather. So usually I say to people when the temperatures start to drop down into the 50s, um, consistently it's obviously time to bring that tropical hibiscus indoors. There's one of two ways that you can overwinter. One is uh, overwintering in a dormant state. The other is overwintering in an active growth state. So if you choose to do a dormant state, you can take that hibiscus and put it in a garage or a root cellar, someplace with just maybe like a little window that stays really cool but does not drop below freezing. So for me, that w that's my garage. We have an attached garage, but it's not heated, and it's really the perfect place to overwinter tropical plants like that. When you move that plant, do you water it well, in the garage? That's what I was going to say. When you move that plant inside, because you want it to go dormant, you stop watering entirely. It's going to drop most, if not all, of its leaves. And the only time you want to water it is about every six to eight weeks. I even go closer to the eight week end of it. Um, and you water it really sparingly because you want it to stay in a state of either full dormancy or semi dormancy. And you don't really start to pick up on the watering until maybe around the middle of March. That's when you start watering it on a little bit more of a regular basis. You'll start to get some new leaves develop on it, and it will slowly come out of that dormancy. If you choose to overwinter it as a houseplant, you move it up into your home in a nice bright room, not direct sunlight, but really nice and bright sunlight. You water it consistently. Um, you don't want it to be wet all the time, so you do want it to dry out a little bit between waterings, but you need to do it maybe every week, every 10 days, depending on how dry your house is. 
When you do that, you're still going to have some of the leaves drop. There's still some of them are still going to turn yellow and drop off. It's just the plant's natural response to being moved from a outside where the light levels are high to indoor conditions. Even in a bright room, the light levels are not going to be the same as they were outside. So some of the leaves will turn yellow, they'll drop off, but it's nothing really to worry about. And a lot of times, the plant will even bloom inside when you grow it as a house plant. So then you get to enjoy the flowers indoors. Okay, you've been a big help. Thank you very much. Good call, Nikki. Nice being a big help, isn't it? It is. And you're good at it. Let's go to Frank. And <laughs> Only Co- with plants, though. Frank, everything else. <laughs> Don't handle. ask me to fix anything in the house. None or, of that kind of stuff. Or well-drawn Christmas tree. Definitely not that. <laughs> hey, Frank in Coriopolis. How you doing, Frank? Yes, good morning. I have a question, perhaps a little unusual, a little bit different than you may hear otherwise. Probably never heard it before. Um, I have a tree. I believe it's an ornamental pear hot in my front yard. Every other tree in the neighborhood has virtually all the leaves on except this stupid tree. <laughs> this tree is still sitting there with green leaves on it. I'm going to be out there in December, if not January, raking up leaves. Is there anything you can do? I don't want to hurt. Well, in a way, that will be another part about hurting the tree. Um, is there anything I can do, like, to water it with something or to give it some feed or something to help it lose its uh, leaves a little bit sooner? You are right, Frank. This is the first time in 13 and a half years of doing this show that we have ever got that question. Okay, I knew it was an unusual question. Yeah, just when you think you've heard it all. (laughs) Uh Um, So welcome to the joys of a calorie pear. This is a Bradford pear. That type of pear is called a calorie pear. It's an ornamental pear. And, you know, some years they just hold on to their leaves, and other years they drop them pretty quickly. No, every year it holds on. Yeah, so you have one that likes to hold tight to them. There is absolutely nothing that you can do uh, to, only, to get those Unfortunately, and I hate to say this, with you being a horticulturist, I'm thinking about cutting it down. I think you should, and here's why I think you should. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a lot of there's a lot of evil in the calorie pear. Uh, they are now listed on the invasive species list in many states. I am not quite sure if they're on the Pennsylvania invasive list yet, but uh, the little tiny round pears that they produce that are obviously inedible because it's an ornamental pear, but the birds eat them and they spread their seeds and they're actually displacing some native species. They're a quite a weak tree. And we talked to the folks at Davy Tree about this a lot on air in the summer in that they have what are called weak crotches, which the where the two main branches join together, that is a very weak area. And so when we get heavy snowfall, high winds, Calorie pears are very prone to splitting and cracking and causing damage. So I will not knock you one little bit, Frank, if you take that calorie pear out and replace it with a better tree. All right. Thank you for the call. We've got to get to a break in about a minute. I want to remind everyone, if you want to uh, get a question in, now would be a great time because we have some available phone lines. So it's 866-391-1020, dollar bank, instant access, kdkradio.com. You can text us on the right out of the line, the best deal in town, or you can reach us at dollar bank, instant access, kdkradio.com. So next hour, it's all about your favorite turkey leftovers. What's your favorite way to prepare turkey leftovers. You got about 30 seconds. Hot turkey sandwiches. You know, I, I had a gravy. metal. Listen, I was doing a thing mm. with a chef the other day. I'm rattling off all this stuff. You know, put it in spaghetti sauce, this, that, you know, uh, turkey uh, salads, blah, 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 blah. I could not, what you just said, I had a mental block until right now I couldn't think of what you just said. And that's the most common thing to do yeah. with turkey leftovers. Hot, Hot turkey sandwich. See, ladies and gentlemen. she with comes, a little cranberry sauce on the side. She fixes everything. Come through in the clutch. <laughs> All right, Joe Dentisi, Frank Dentisi. That's coming up next hour. You can phone in as well there and give us your favorite turkey leftover recipes. And then Heffron Tillotson's Your Money and You with Jim Meredith. Stay with us.
All right. Uh, we're back. Listen, uh, we've got every line available. And these next uh, two segments are going to get extremely busy. Uh, you know, and if you're thinking about, you know, gifts for gardeners or maybe buying yourself something, you know, with Cyber Monday coming up tomorrow, uh, you know, this is the place to get everything answered as far as your to-do list, your wish list when it comes to gardening. And maybe you've got a house plan or you're, you know you're going to be getting some house plants and you're wanting some maintenance ideas. Jessica can, ha- can handle it all. So we've got every line available. So I highly urge you to jump on the phone lines right now at 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank, Instant Access, KDKRadio.com or you can uh, text us on the right out of motor line, best deal in town. Janowski's getting ready next weekend for their Christmas open house. Always a good time to be had by one and all. And right now, we're going to give to the 10th caller at 412-922-1020 a $25 gift certificate. So again, 412-922-1020. And if you want to talk to Jessica Wallace or 866-391-1020, Dollar Bank, Instant Access, KDKRadio.com, or you can text us on the Right Automotive Line, Best Deal in Town. So as we were talking about trees before the break and that that calorie pair, there's a few other points I want to make about trees this time of year that are really important. So if it's a tree that you love and you want to make sure is protected through the winter, there are some things right now that you really should be doing. If you have deer that come through your garden, especially in the wintertime and browse on your arborvita or the tips of your apple trees or, you know, any number of other tree species and shrubs that they really like to, um, to feed on during the winter... Now is the time to get some protection up around those trees and shrubs. Um, Yes, you can use sprays. There's any number of commercial deer repellents that you can apply. Some are better than others. In my experience, you need to reply them religiously and regularly and according to label instructions. They, you know, many of the good popular brands are very effective when used, you know, as the label specifies. But even better than that, if you have the opportunity to just go to the local garden center and buy some bird netting, which is the little tiny, fine black mesh netting that they cover, people cover their berries with it to keep the you know birds out of the berry patch, you can actually surround your trees and shrubs with a, a layer of that, and it goes a long way toward preventing deer damage. So we have some trees out in the front, a juniper that was supposed to be deer resistant, but obviously isn't because the deer really enjoy eating it. But I just kind of wrap that whole juniper in a layer of that black deer netting. And from the road, it's not even visible. That netting is so fine. The mesh is so thin that you can't even see that that shrub is is wrapped or that tree is wrapped in that deer netting. And then actually, I you can hold it closed with like clothes pins or you can use twist ties. Uh, to to fasten it around that shrub. We have some Hinoki cypress in the back that the deer really love, and they're one of my favorite garden uh, evergreens, small evergreens. And I have two of them in the back, and those pretty much stay covered with that bird netting year-round to keep the deer off of them. But it's not just deers that you have to protect the trees from. You also will want to provide some protection at their base from voles and mice and rabbits that love to chew on the bark. If we get snow cover in the wintertime, those guys love to snuggle down underneath the snow and they're looking for food down there in the base of the tree bark at the bottom of the tree is one of their favorites. They love to nibble off that bark and a little bit of the cambium, which is the tissue on that plant that's just beneath that bark level. And when that happens, if they chew the bark and remove that bark all the way around the whole circumference of the base of the tree, it will kill the tree because it prevents uh, water and nutrients from traveling up and down around in the tree. And so you need to protect the base of that tree. So if you have, you know, you have voles, you know, you have mice, you know, you have rabbits, 
a simple way to do this is just get a strip of hardware cloth, um, <laughs> go down and to EV True Value and get some hardware cloth and a tin snips, and you can cut it into strips probably about maybe eight inches to a foot tall and wrap it around the base of that trunk and get it down just beneath your mulch or soil level so that it's nestled down into the ground a little bit. And that forms a protective barrier. Now you're going to want to remove it in the spring, obviously, because if you leave it in place all the time, it could end up girdling the tree as the tree grows and it could sort of choke it out. But you want to make sure that you leave it in, in place at least through the winter to prevent access from those guys allowing them to chew the bark. So those types of tree protection are really, really important over these winter months. Congratulations to Lou from Coriopolis, winner of that gift certificate from Janoski's. Okay, we have some uh, social media action uh, coming in this morning, so let's get right to it. Uh, first off, Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdkradio.com, says, Jessica, love the show. What can I do with ashes from the wood burner? Can I spread them on my lawn? Yeah, so this is this is an interesting question because we have people that spread ashes on their garden every year and they never have any problems with it. And, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years and it's all good. Never had any problems. But ashes are very alkaline. So whether you burn in a wood stove or a fireplace or an outdoor fire pit, you really want to be cautious with those ashes because if you add too many of them to the lawn or the garden, you can actually send your pH in a in a direction that's too alkaline, that uh, isn't the best for plant growth. So for lawns and most vegetable plants, the target pH is 6.5. Here in Pennsylvania, we tend to have slightly acidic pHs, so lower than that number. And so adding a couple of wood ashes might not cause problems, but it also could if you don't know the original pH of your soil. So a better way to handle those wood ashes is to actually add them to the compost pile. Because when you blend them with a bunch of other ingredients like untreated grass clippings and your fall leaves and your kitchen scraps, and you turn them regularly in that compost pile, it does help neutralize the pH of those uh, those ashes. And when you add that compost to the soil, then you're still getting all the nutrients Um, the phosphorus in particular that are present in the wood ashes without having the negative effects of a pH change that goes a little too far. So that's really the best thing to do with them. All right. uh, Right out of a text message, best deal in town. My Japanese maple has not dropped its leaves yet. Should I be concerned? No, that's another one. Sometimes some different varieties hold on to their leaves longer than others. Uh, I have two Japanese maples at home. One has dropped all of its leaves and the other is still holding on to all of its leaves. They're two different varieties. They're just, you know, some hold on longer than others. And also it depends on the season as well. There's nothing you can or should do to encourage those leaves to drop. They'll just drop when they're good and ready. All right. 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank in Synaxis. KDKRadio.com. Texas on the right automotive line. Best deal in town. We actually have some available lines. So if you'd like to get a question in for Jessica, now would be a good time to do that. So what have you been doing with the Tribune Review lately? Oh, lots of good stuff. Um, all kinds of timely gardening topics. I think I have one coming up about, it might even actually be in today paper about the chores that need to be done this time of year and how that's changed over the years. You know, we used to tell people years ago when I started teaching at Phipps, we would tell everybody, you know, cut your gardens all down, clean them all up for the winter. And now we're telling people and asking people to leave as much of their gardens stand as possible, especially in the perennial garden because those plant stems and that debris is great habitat for a lot of our native pollinators and overwintering beneficial insects. But even if you let your garden stand, there's still things that need to be done. Um, Example is if you have a statuary or garden art or gazing globes or things outside, garden art outside that's frost sensitive, 
you definitely want to bring that inside because you don't want to have, you know, your glass globes cracking out in your garden. So bring those indoors for the winter if you haven't done that yet. If you have ground covers in your garden, like maybe you have a bed of a juga or pachysandra or vinca or any number of other ground covers out there, that is an area in the garden where you want to try to collect as many leaves as possible. Try to get the fallen leaves off of those ground covers because if you don't, you could get some patchy dieback in those. And especially with something like pachysandra that's very prone to fungal issues, having that mat of leaves on that ground cover can cause some fungal issues. So that's one part of the garden where we do recommend cleaning up the leaves. And then of course on the lawn because you can have lawn death. But if you're just having a perennial bed, like I do in my front and backyard, I just leave the leaves lie in the, leave the leaves lie in the, lay, leave the leaves lay, leave the leaves lie. Anyway, leave them in that garden and they'll provide habitat and then do that cleanup in the spring. But you definitely have to get them off of ground covers and out of the grass as well. All right, so I'm going to ask you in a minute before the break, one thing that you always are excited to get at Christmas from someone because they know you love gardening. One thing you just can't, uh, get enough of well i always love seed catalog gift certificates because you you seed seeds catalogs you go through and you dog ear 100 different pages and you think oh it's not going to be that much money right because it's only a couple of bucks a seed packet but then till the end you have 40 seed packets and it ends up being a whole lot of money so it is really nice to get that that's something i think most gardeners can use uh, especially vegetable gardeners and even flower gardeners too because a lot of flowers can be started by seed that just for me is something that you're going to get a return on for the entire season. Seeds of love, I guess. That's right. There you go. All right, 866-391-1020, Dollar Bank, Instant Access, kdkradio.com. Texas on the right automotive line, the best deal in town. And it is now time for our Mrs. Know-It-All, Denise Schreiber. She is a horticulturist, grower, and all-around garden goddess. Denise, good morning. How are you? I'm good. You know, I actually got into the garden for a little bit yesterday. I heal in a lot of the plants that, you know, I get towards the end of summer that really don't have time to, you know, get uh, enough roots to winter over. So I plant them on my vegetable garden, and I took some old five-gallon buckets that I cut the bottoms off and kind of put them around them, and we got some of our leaves cut because my magnolia is still holding on to about half of its leaves. And I chopped them up, and I just kind of filled the buckets lightly with the chopped up leaves to give them a little extra insulation for the winter. But, uh, yeah. That's a, a good idea. Of, so you cut you cut the bottom off of a larger size pot? No, well, I, well, you can do it with a larger pot, some of the sturdier ones. I had five-gallon buckets that um, I used to grow my potatoes in, and so I already had the bottoms cut off. And I just kind of give it like a twist to make sure, you know, it has good contact in the ground. And then, you know, I already have my plants healed in and then I just fill them with a little um, chopped leaf, you know, so it'll break down, but at the same point, it'll still give it some insulation over the winter. I have a couple plants that are marginally hardy here. So I'm hoping that this really helps them get through the winter and hopefully we don't have a winter like last year. <laughs> yeah, we don't need those minus 20 degrees anymore. That's for sure. So that's a great suggestion and a great way to reuse those buckets and and provide a little extra insulation. Um, my neighbor is growing some rose standards out in their yard and those are not officially hardy here either. And they actually did a little ring of wire and then filled it up with leaves. So that's just another good thing that all those fallen leaves are good for other than adding to the compost pile. All right, uh, this could be a veterinarian question, but you're uh, a horticulturist, oh so here we go. 
Uh, all right, what about plants uh, that are poison uh, towards your pets? For like house plants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you got you have to be very, very careful. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there regarding the toxicity of certain house plants. You always, 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 and Doug and I talked about this on last week's show. My go-to resource for determining whether or not something is toxic to a pet is the ASPCA website. So if you go to the ASPCA website and you type in their search box, you know, to- plants toxic to cats or plants toxic to dogs, you will come up with a whole entire list of plants that are toxic and then another list of plants that are non-toxic to pets. And you really have to be careful. So, for example, the amaryllis plant, which is a beautiful blooming bulb, is in the lily family. And uh, things in the lily family are toxic to pets. Almost all of them in the lily family are. So that's a big no-no to have if you have a kitty or a puppy that takes nibbles out of your plant. So you, you do have to be very, very cautious when introducing any new plant, not just holiday plants, but any new plant to the home. You need to research it before you bring it in. All right, uh, right on the of text message. Too late to transplant a daylily from a planter to the ground. If it were any other plant, I would say, yeah, it's probably too late uh, because the ground is starting to get a little bit cool. And, we, you know, who knows if we're going to get a pile of snow here soon. But with a daylily, daylilies are pretty resilient and pretty tough. So I would say if you have a reason, like you're moving or something and you really need to move it now, that it's okay to go ahead and do so. Uh, I would make sure when you do move it to around the root zone, put maybe a, a couple of inches of shredded leaves or some other type of mulch like straw or something loose like that uh, around that root zone to help give a little bit of insulation and keep the plant from heaving You know, during those freeze-thaw cycles. Sometimes they pop up out of the soil. So make sure you go out and you check that over the winter. But usually with daylilies, you'll be okay. All right, let's take one more phone call before we wrap up this week's edition of the Organic Gardens. Let's go to Monroeville and say hi to Anna. Anna, you're on KDK with Jessica Walliser. Hi, good morning. Good morning. A couple of questions. I keep having uh, bug problems and so forth with blueberries and asparagus. Um, Do I trim the asparagus down for the winter or not? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. So the bug problems you probably have on your asparagus patch are asparagus beetles, right? Yes. Yeah. So you do want to, if you have an asparagus beetle infestation and you know that you have it, yes, I would get all the debris out of there this time of year because they can overwinter in leaves collected around the base of the plant and even on those old ferns. So you do want to make sure that you get that bed cleaned up. But of course, they can also overwinter on nearby weeds or, you know, leaf litter elsewhere. And so that is one pest that you do want to do that leaf cleanup in the fall for. Okay. Okay. And the, with the blueberries, I just I have a lot of different uh, uh, insects and so forth. And and I had called you once before about the the ant problems. The ants are everywhere, and uh, they even loved the berries that were on my dogwood tree. Huh. Yeah. Uh, just they they climb the tree, you know, and and the berries by the time they drop they're about half eaten and uh i'm just overwhelmed with ants everywhere yeah i mean ants are are happy yeah they're typically i know we talked about this last time that ants are typically not problematic in the garden in fact they're considered to be very good for the garden but for some Mm -hmm. reason the ones you have there really like to go after those blueberries so i would actually um invest in some what's called tangle trap which is uh or tangle foot it's a non-drying glue and you can just buy it on amazon or from any nursery supply store. It's a non-drying glue and you can actually paint 
the uh, a ring around the base of the trunk of that blueberry tree or your dogwood tree. And what it does is any insect that's going to crawl up the plant to get to those fruits, like the ants, right? They can't fly. They have to crawl up the plant. They get stuck in that glue and it doesn't hurt the plant, but it forms a protective barrier and then they're not able to access. You just have to make sure that there's no fences or um, other plant material that's touching the blueberries because they will climb up that to get to the blueberries as well. But if you have nothing else touching that shrub and you put that protective barrier, that non-drying glue like, like Tanglefoot, around the base of that blueberry tree, it will, it will make a huge difference. All right. Thank you for the call. About a minute before we say goodbye. Anything else? Um, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention with trees, and now that we've mentioning fruit trees and talking about those blueberry bushes, this is also the time of year where you want to get out and remove any dead fruit that's still clinging to the branches. So if you grew apples or peaches or pears and you have dead fruit that's kind of like shrunken and shriveled up on that tree, you need to get it out of there because if it was attacked by a fungal organism, especially something like brown rot, it can easily spread till next year. So good orchard cleanup is is very important for this time of year as well. Same thing in a grape uh, vineyard. If you have sort of shriveled up grapes still clinging onto the grapevines, clean those up and get them out of there as well. And remember, the organic gardeners always aim to teach you how to create a better place to garden and a safer place to live. Hey, enjoy the rest of your holiday. Thank you. All right, good job, Jessica Wallace. Uh, Doug off today, back next week. Meantime, it's turkey leftover recipes. We're going to gobble them all up. So going to be a busy hour. So if you have a turkey leftover recipe that you want to call right now with, I'd highly urge you to get on the line with Joe and Frank Dantisi, waiting in the wings for another edition of the Coons Cooking Hour, moments away on KDKA Radio. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.